This is Hannah over in University Archives, and this is U of M Radio and Your Historic Dial, Episode 10, An Englishman in Minneapolis. If you have ever been to a play at the Tyrone Guthrie Theater, these trumpets are a familiar herald as they signal the beginning of a performance at the 54-year-old Minneapolis institution. Conceived in 1959 by acclaimed British director Sir Tyrone Guthrie, along with his colleagues Peter Zeisler and Oliver Ray, the Guthrie Theater was intended to address what its founders viewed as the creative stagnation they saw in the New York City theater scene. Writers, actors, and designers flocked to Broadway, leading to a surplus of professionals in one place and a shortage everywhere else in the country. Guthrie wanted to establish a theater somewhere it would have a chance to thrive, introducing audiences to the great dramatic classics he felt they had been deprived of for so long. We believe that something here had a chance of growing into an institution, where we did not believe that such a growth was absolutely possible on Broadway. The over-competitive, overstimulated, overcrowded nature of the Broadway theater makes it, in my view, literally impossible for managements to take a longer view than Thursday next. They cannot look beyond the success or failure of their present endeavor, because if it's successful, they will be kept busy for five years, and if it's a failure, it'll be off on Saturday before they have time to plan and will have cost so much money that they'll be very lucky if they ever get into business again. One of the troubles with young American playwrights is that they do not get exposed to classical theatres. Any influence I can throw behind the continuance of a classical policy, I intend to throw. Because I think this is the better service to the public, I think it is a sufficient service to the new authors, and at least until we're much better established than we are at present, I don't think we have any right to monkey about with the infinitely greater financial risk of doing new plays. It's awfully easy for outside people to say, oh, you ought to be doing more to encourage new playwrights. But new playwrights aren't terribly eager to be encouraged by the likes of us. The most we can offer is somewhere between 40 and 50 performances in a season. And if the new playwright has a kind of a high opinion of himself, and you know, even if he doesn't think that he's Shakespeare and Cervantes rolled into one, he's still hoping for this great success. He'll say, well, I'd rather try my luck on Broadway, and if I can possibly sell the play on Broadway, I will. We shall only get the things that have absolutely no hope of being produced on Broadway. Guthrie viewed the United States as too young to have produced any classics. He anticipated an audience unused to professional theater in the classics, essentially a clean slate. He wanted to create an intellectually demanding audience by not serving them mass-derived pap and teach people to cultivate good taste. People do not come ready equipped with good taste. I think this is a fairly widely held view that some people, particularly some females and more particularly some wealthy females, innately have something called good taste. Auntie Lou never puts a foot wrong as regards her hats, her gloves, her jewellery, or the decoration of her house. God damn it, she's learnt her, that's her. 
She doesn't have it innately. If she has it, which is extremely doubtful, she has it because she's worked very hard at it. Good taste is something that you only learn by experience. Therefore, nobody need feel insulted if we say that in our humble way we're proposing to try and teach you. Because equally, we know that we've got to teach ourselves how to do these things. Because to a considerable extent, this is a lost art. When building the theatre that would bear his name, Guthrie insisted that it be a repertory theatre, meaning the same actors would perform in different plays each season. In addition to building a strong ensemble who would carry the productions, he believed that repertory was better for the individual actors, as they would avoid being typecast. He also avoided casting the occasional big name, saying in the New York Times, one of the most boring things about Broadway is knowing from the moment you read a name on the program precisely the performance you may expect. I'm always meeting ladies at parties who say, when are you going to have Laurence Olivier here? When is Ingrid Bergman going to play? And then they mention something <laughs> totally unsuitable. Gina Lollobrigida. And... <laughs> well, the answer is, a, that most of these people aren't available to come. B, that even more most of them aren't able to do the parts. And C, that if they came, they would disrupt the whole business of the ensemble and we couldn't get the support nearly as strong as we can when the aim is to create an ensemble and uh, not uh, just a big name or two at the top and anybody who will kindly come and oblige in the other parts. Now we'll jump forward 10 years to 1973, when KUOM produced Guthrie Greenroom, a program that gave listeners a thorough look behind the scenes through interviews with different members of the theater's creative staff, including the artistic director, set designer, voice and movement coach, and of course, one of the actors. Produced during the Guthrie's 11th season, we get some insight into how Tyrone Guthrie's legacy has been carried on up to this point. Listen in on Donald Schoenbaum and Sheila Livingston, the managing director and education coordinator at the time, discuss their positions and how they helped to fulfill Tyrone Guthrie's founding mission of developing an audience eager for good theater. This is Sheldon Goldstein welcoming you once again to the Guthrie Green Room, and we're very happy to have with us this evening as our guests uh, two members of the Guthrie staff that you won't see on the stage, but uh, who are very much uh, integral parts of the operation. Uh, Donald Schoenbaum, who is the managing director of the Guthrie Theater, and Sheila Livingston, who is uh, of the uh, Student and Community Resource Center here at the uh, Guthrie Theater. Thank you very much for joining us. Sheila Livingston, I'd like to zero in uh, with you, perhaps, on some of the uh, specifics of the way the ways in which this uh, Student uh, and Community Resource Center that uh, Donald Schoenbaum just talked about works. Uh, uh, how, uh, how are these, uh, well, if I were a teacher out in uh, uh, Bloomington, right. how, might I, uh, how might I take advantage of the Student and uh, Community Resource Center? Well, to begin with, Sheldon, you'd uh, probably get a preview magazine from us way before the season opened. And you'd know some of the things that we were planning at the theater. And um, then when calling us, um, we would discuss the kinds of things you were interested in and book reservations for you, and then see what kinds of additional materials you might want for your classroom. Uh, perhaps it would be study guides, posters, uh, uh, background information on the play, or what have you. 
Oftentimes we get requests from schools to have special symposiums, a tour of the theater, um, all kinds of things. We really try to individualize each request that we get and we've made a genuine attempt to really get to know the people that we're working with. And um, I think this is part of the kind of attitude that you will find throughout the Guthrie Theatre, that everybody in each department is interested in really um, doing a job and representing their department in selling it to the community and providing a service to the community. We provide many speakers to schools, um, both professional people on our staff as well as some of our volunteer people from the community. Listening to Tyrone Guthrie's upper crust accent might make one wonder why he deemed himself the person responsible for evolving the character of American theater. But the earnest efforts made by the outreach team to bring students and senior citizens into the Guthrie shows that in their view, the theater and the plays performed within it are for everyone. As Don has indicated, the most important thing that we have here to offer is the production on our main stage. And to make this a possibility for people is what we're really trying to do. I don't think you can ever lose sight of the kid getting on the bus at four o'clock in the morning in some town a couple hundred miles away coming into the cities to come to a performance at the Guthrie. Uh, you can never get blasé about that kind of thing. And that's why we try to make it as unique as we can and sometimes overload our tour schedule or our speaking schedule so that that kid coming all that way, making that effort, will really have a memorable experience. If you want to learn more about the Guthrie Theater, I encourage you to reach out to the University of Minnesota's Performing Arts Archives, which houses the Guthrie Theater's records. On the next episode, we'll mark another anniversary. 45 years ago this month, the University of Minnesota campus erupted in protests against the Vietnam War. Tune in to hear reports from the ground during that tumultuous week. Thanks for listening. The U of M Radio on your Historic Dial podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment. Subscribe or download on iTunes or Google Play so you don't miss another moment of Historic Minnesota Radio. If you enjoy our clips and want to hear or learn more, go to www.lib.umn.edu slash uarchives and search KUOM in the Collections Guides. Digitization of University Archives recordings was financed in part with funds provided by the State of Minnesota from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund through the Minnesota Historical Society.